All right, welcome back everybody to uh, the Pack Out Podcast, episode number four today. Uh, I'm Cody, as always, have my co-host Aaron, and today we have uh, guest Adam Wilson on. He's a uh, bona fide public land turkey hunter, so we'll be talking everything everything turkeys today, which is going to be exciting. Uh, today we're recording, it's April 7th, so the opener in Michigan is 10 days away. Uh, we have that new Saturday opener, so that's coming up pretty quick. Uh, but before we dive in, Aaron, today has to kind of feel like uh, Christmas Eve a little bit to you because tomorrow you drive back to Michigan to get uh, dog number two, correct? I do. I start I start the trip back to Michigan tomorrow. Um, pick up the dog Saturday. Um, you know, Autumn, my, my current short hair, she's nine or she will be nine in about a month. And that seems like seems like it was just yesterday we watched we watched it all click in uh in that cover um she moved 20 some odd woodcock and a grouse and it was just i'll never it, that's a hunt that i'll never forget and i'm looking forward to looking forward to getting this one and um you know getting that getting that ride started again so um yeah you bring that hunt up and i i kind of forgot about that um Man, that was an that was an interesting hunt for many reasons. I think I worked a shift. I was working EMS, so I worked a shift the night before. I was up like all night. Got up at I don't know whatever time I got off five six. Drove back to Mount Pleasant, and then we left from there. And I think that was like the first good flight of woodcock I got into. And man, that was <laughs> that was something. And then to see the kind of the light bulb switch for Autumn, that was cool. Um, and I'll never forget that grouse flying into us and you just absolutely hammering it. And then I think you went and picked it up and like head is gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The head was, the head was completely gone. Um, it flew in because I could hear her bark and that was the first time I'd heard her bark at a bird. And that's when I learned that if, if she bumps a grouse or a grouse flushes, she will bark 99% of the time. And it's just kind of funny to hear it bird comes in it's it's like cupping its wings like it's a duck and i wing it on the first shot and then it hits the ground and i just completely killed it i mean its head was gone (laughs) so i remember having to take the picture like holding it in my hands and doing the doing the tail fan thing but uh yeah but yeah we i was up at central for homecoming weekend staying at my old house you you worked overnight and you were like if we get busy i can't do nothing and then you ended up basically taking a nap all night. So that worked out really good. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, this yeah. dog is, uh, it's another crosswind pup, um, another crosswind short hair. Um, the, uh, the male is out of uh, chip and pick, which it might not mean much to a lot of people, but, but chip is, uh, um, he's, he's a two or three time national champion for Scott. Uh, for Nashua trials and not that I trial, but I mean, when you have that lineage there, um, you know, it goes all the way back to, you know, crosswind truck and Fritz, like you've got a lot of good lines, you've got a lot of good dog. So I'm just kind of stacking the cards in my favor with that and, you know, see if I can't find those three or four grouse that are still out here in PA. Yeah. I feel like if you're a, if you're a Michigan bird dog guy, you, you know, chip and pick. You know, I'm, I'm not yeah. a short hair guy, but I know chip and pick. I've seen both dogs run, uh, both very nice dogs. So yeah, that'll be exciting. That's a nice breeding. Um, 
Adam, now you, you, your first dog was a short hair, and then you kind of went over to the dark side, and now you have a long-tailed dog, correct? Yeah, and actually, coincidentally, um, he's also sort of out of Crosswinds. Um, That's my right. new pup is, uh, yeah, Crosswinds owns uh, Jim. It is and, out of Jimmy, uh, yeah, okay. uh, Jimmy's the sire to this litter. I got it from uh, Legacy K. They're actually big in show short hairs, and they decided they wanted to get into hunting line pointers. Um, it was actually kind of a happy accident. Um, I was originally on a list for a field bred setter, um, and then with COVID and everything, that breeder gave up. She said she didn't want nothing to do, returned our deposits. I was kind of, you know, crap, I wanted a dog. You know, my dog's turning six this year, and... Then uh, Kellen, who I own a litter mate to from our short hairs, called me and said, hey, I'm getting a puppy out of uh, Ryan and Jimmy. They still have females available, so I, of course, jumped on it. And yeah, it's uh, simultaneously the easiest and uh, oddest puppy experience I've ever had. Um, they don't have the intangibles like the uh, short hair. She's not quite as cuddly. She's a little more independent, but um, with that comes a little bit easier. She's a little more independent. She hasn't been up up our butts as much um it's funny you said something about barking at uh at grouse flushes ace does it and uh the first time i put uh fern is her name or my little pointer on uh birds as soon as the pigeon popped out of the launcher she's howling running down the thing i was like all right well i guess i can't get away from that yeah that is uh that is my pointer to a t man she's she's definitely more independent she's not cuddly like my lab but uh yeah she's been a joy so that that seems to be be kind of the mo with the breed i guess um as much as i'd like to sit here and talk about dogs and i think we all would because we all we all definitely enjoy uh the dog game and grouse hunting uh we're here to talk about turkey hunting so how did you kind of get your start turkey hunting adam or who, you know who kind of got you into it how did you kind of evolve into this turkey hunter that you are today well you you know i I'd be lying if I said it wasn't anything but a happy accident. Um, one day, me and my buddy Jason, um, we kind of took this adventure together. Um, I think Aaron, you know him, Jason Crean, or you may know yep. of him. But, I, have um, a, uh, I bought one of his calls. Okay. Really, yep. really good. So call. we uh, driving around one day looking for uh, spring crappie fishing spots. And this is way back when I think my zone only had 25 permits for the entire season. It just wasn't something you did. Turkey culture was new down here. Um, we, we happened to see a giant flock of turkeys sitting on a parcel of state land. So we kind of made a pack that, you know, the next year we would give it a shot. You know, we had no clue what we were doing. Uh, we applied for the party um, as a party, hoping it would double up our chances. And uh, yeah, that first year we got a tag, I believe it was 03. There was only 75 permits for my area of public land. And we got lucky. We drew one. And uh it was a heck of a learning experience, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, we did not harvest a bird. Uh, we saw lots. Uh, I'll be honest. I choked on the first bird I ever had an opportunity on. Uh, watched too many Primos videos. He came strutting in, and I thought I had all sorts of time, and he wing flicked, turned, and ran away. And my buddy's looking at me, shaking his head. He's like, what happened? <laughs> to this day, I still can't tell you. But in a way, I'm glad it happened because it kind of sparked a fire. Yeah. Definitely. My, my first was very similar, except I think I was kind of the opposite. I got a little bit too excited and, and moved a little bit too quickly and just, just a whiff, you know, <laughs> and, uh, my grandpa was calling for me. My grandpa got me into turkey hunting. He was just a huge turkey hunter. He actually, uh, he passed a couple of years ago, but he started 
he hunted the first season in 19, I think it was 1976. And then he hunted every season until the, I think the year he passed. Um, so he got me into turkey hunting and anyways, on that first hunt, we had, you know, he had worked these birds and I'm a 12 year old kid. I'm impatient. I'm like, you know, what's going on? And he just kept telling me, you know, just wait, they're coming, they're coming. Sure enough, you know, 45 minutes, they show up and then it's kind of like, oh no, here they are. And yeah, I whiff, but kind of the same thing. I think that kind of like <laughs> drove my passion for him a little bit. I, I don't know what your guys' problem is. I killed the first bird that I was on. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> now I have killed one bird since then and both birds I've killed are jakes. So part of this conversation today is why I'm so terrible at turkey hunting. I mean, the only thing I'm worse at than turkey hunting is finding morels. And I don't think morels exist. So, you know, funny sidetrack. I spent years trying to find morels and I finally found a old abandoned apple orchard that's just full of them. And, uh, Shortly after I found morels and I was super excited about it, I also discovered I'm not the world's biggest fan of morels. Ah. It was almost <laughs> bad karma. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. The only time I find them is, is stumbling upon them turkey hunting. So I'm, I'm definitely no morel hunter either. Uh, that's for sure. Um, I guess, how do you, how do you go about like scouting for turkeys? How are you kind of uh, finding your spots? And maybe to, to kind of preface that a little bit, you're, you're, are you, uh, solely hunting public land? Are you mostly public land? I'm I, for turkeys, it's all public land. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with my area, but I'm, I'm very fortunate. Um, even though I'm in a very densely populated area, um, just South of Flint is where I am now. Um, I do most of my hunting, Oakland, Lapeer, Macomb, uh, we have something like 30,000 acres of public land and the way our state structures, uh, the seasons, um, you know, with the quoted hunts and everything, it never feels heavily pressured. I mean, at no given time, is there more than 600 hunters out, you know, across five counties? Um, so I, I've always just stuck with the public land. I mean, I've, I've sat on private on, on occasion calling for people mostly, but, uh, I think every bird to a T that I've actually pulled the trigger on has just been fortunate enough to be public land. Um, it does bring an interesting aspect to scouting because you know you're not the only person hitting that ridge, um, especially things from the car. Uh, you know, the, the real the first time we started finding birds, it was just as simple as driving, stopping, calling, driving, stopping, calling, driving, stopping, calling until you found that bird. Then you get out and you'd walk around mid-morning and try to find a nice escape into it and you know, it's kind of, as the years have gone on, it's kind of progressed. I, I know the areas that they should be. Uh, I, I think like most places in the United States, I'm noticing a slight kind of shift in population, almost like they've hit their carrying capacity and they're dropping down. So I do a little more focusing on where they should be and then spending each year kind of refocusing. Are they on this ridge? Nope. Okay. Let's go to this next ridge. Uh, I try to find a hot bird. Uh, I'm more interested in finding turkeys it's always nice to have that one turkey goblin from high just screaming his name every morning the problem i run into with that is i find that usually that loudest turkey he's with a ton of hens or he's gonna have a ton of hunters with him come opening morning so most of my scouting used to be done weeks months before season now i go a day or two before i do a lot of walk and i try to locate a group of birds i try to find one that's hot and then i just leave them the hell alone and then i go crawling in open in morning at three in the morning and, you know, hope I'm within a couple hundred yards. And if I'm not, when he starts sounding off, creep in, doesn't always work, but. Yeah. That's a good point about, um, I was just going to say, that's a good point about like the hot bird because it's, 
it's kind of opposite for me. I'm fortunate that I, I mean, I all hunt all private, but like, yeah. that's what I'm looking for. You know, that bird that's screaming, I know I'm the only one in there, you know? So that's a very good point on public land. If you're hearing him, how many other guys are hearing him, you know? So I think that's a really good point where you say you're looking for turkeys and not just maybe yes. that one turkey that wants to play the game. And that's something I ne- wouldn't necessarily have thought about just because I'm not dealing with that pressure piece. Yeah, I find once uh, once you kind of learn an area, you know, like I have my my favorite spots, of course, and I, I find that, you know, there's places that hold turkeys every year. So a day or two before season, I just kind of do the check like, hey, are you here? Hear a couple birds gobble, see some signs, some scratches. That's all I need to know. I mean, it, it'd be nice if I show up in the morning and I hit the owl hoot and they're blowing up from every ridge, but it's not 100% necessary, it, it, you know if you hunt the same area long enough, you, you, you learn a little bit of trust and knowing, okay, just cause I'm not hearing him doesn't mean he's not here. Uh, I usually try my opening day bird. I try to hit a loud mouth. And then from there on, it's just kind of a spot rotation plan B, C, D, E, F, G until we, until we get there. So when you're going around trying to find those birds one or two days before the season, uh, are you using some sort of, locator call owl hoot crow call are you just stretching out a pot call well yeah, usually um i'm gonna let out a little trade secret of mine um a goose call is my hands down best locator um especially this time of year geese are starting to sit on nests they're screaming right before sunlight they're the loudest thing in the woods and of course the turkeys are trying to be louder than them it carries a long way so that's usually my reach out and find a turkey call um, I usually start with an owl hoot, though. It's a little softer, a little quieter. Um, see if there's something roosted right over my head. And then if not, then I just slam them with that. Um, I don't like to use turkey sounds pre-season. Uh, I've done it before where you're right after fly down, you hit a turkey call. They've gobbling their faces off. It's fun to play with them. And then I'll drive around a couple more spots and I come back and there's a turkey str- strutting in the parking lot. So I, I just stopped doing it. That's, that's never happened to me. <laughs> no, that's interesting though about the goose call. I wouldn't have thought about that. And, and, and do you think it's just a competition thing with the yeah, turkeys I, and the I, geese? I'd be lying to you if I told you I knew why turkey shot gobbled. Um, yeah, I just find that it's anything loud. I, I mean, I've shut my car door and had them gobble. Um, stepped on branches, had them gobble. Pretty much all the same things you can scare a turkey with usually makes them gobble. Um, oh, heck, one year we had uh, we were hunting behind a cement factory and uh, hear a truck beeping and backing up. And every time that thing beeped, turkey just slamming, just gobble, 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 gobble. So <laughs> who knows? But yeah, the goose call, I just like it because it travels. It's a natural noise. Um, area I hunt has a lot of uh, a lot of water, a lot of lakes. So there's always a goose losing its mind somewhere. And yeah just seems to really fire them up. One of the best, I think, man, it's been a long time, but one of the best mornings I had for like gobbling activity is, yeah, I think they came to, I was sitting down in the woods and I think they came to like plant the field or something, but every time the tractor would hit that head row and make its turn, he'd just hammer, you know, <laughs> and never would come any closer, but yeah, just sitting there hearing gobbles. It, it kind of makes me think of that, uh, that meat eater like t-shirt where they put all just the <laughs> random things that turkeys will gobble to, you know, but um, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of the goose call either. That's, that's a good one. And, and it makes sense, especially like the time of year that you're talking. So, yeah. 
Yeah, a little later in the year, I start relying on crows a little bit more. Uh, crow calls when the foliage gets thick and everything. But yeah, this time of year when those geese are sitting on the nest, it's like, you know, you hear gray jays, robins, turkeys, and geese. That's just what you hear just screaming all the time. So something I've noticed in PA is we don't have a ton of crows uh, compared to Michigan. Um, we have them, but West Nile took out a bunch of crows here too. And so like my, my crow call, it's one of those things where if I can, if I hear crows, I'll use a crow call, but if I don't hear crows or I haven't heard crows that day, I'll use an owl hoot. And that tends to, granted, I, again, not the greatest at this, but it seems to, there seems to be some sort of correlation there. So, well, right, wrong or indifferent. Um, I've never heard a crow before sunup. And a lot of people hit the woods and start screaming at crows. And I've always found by the time I'm hearing crows, if I haven't heard a gobble, it's time to move on and go find another spot or start walking. Um, so I've never hit one before sunup. I have used it mid-morning, midday, just, you know, see if I'm on top of a bird. But yeah, in the morning, I've just never had luck with a crow call. I never would have even thought about that. That's interesting. Because we've located them at night um, using crow calls. Um I don't know as if I've ever, I, I think I have tried it in the morning and it wasn't all that successful. So that makes a lot of sense, I guess. Yeah. I mean, just totally anecdotal. I, I just never, I feel like it's fairly sun up before it ever happens. You mentioned, um, if you like if in the morning, if you're not hearing a bird gobbling, you're moving. So, and I mean, not that the birds are always quiet, but like if it's a morning where the birds are quiet, are you just kind of assuming that, Hey, there's not birds here. And I need to be like, I need to be getting myself in a spot where there's a bird that wants to play the game. Is that how you're kind of, kind of moving? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I, I'm going to contradict myself here real quick. I'm um, scouting. I try to find turkeys. Um, but when I'm hunting, I try to find the turkey. That makes sense. I, I, I want the bird, you know, a lot of guys like to deer hunt them, call sparingly, um, my hunting partner, Jason's actually quite like that. He's, he's very conservative on his calling. Um, just like in real life, I, in the Turkey woods, I'm a loud mouth. Um, I, I want that excitement. I want that Turkey just screaming at me. Um, it typically in the morning, um, the game's over. If shortly after fly down, you haven't heard anything. I find, um, you have that, I call it like the dead period. You know, you have that really hot first hour where anything can happen. There's turkeys screaming. They're, you know, they're trying to find their hens. They're breeding. They're getting to their feeding and strut locations. Then, uh, you know, 7.30, 8 o'clock in the early season, it just kind of, everything just kind of settles into a quiet. Um, yeah, if I haven't heard anything by then, I, I'm not I'm not waiting. Um, I'm going to start moving. I'm going to start hammering birds. I'm going to try to see if I can find that one. That is just has not been able to find the hen, maybe got spooked off the roost and he's kind of lost or, you know, especially during hunting season, I, I'm not afraid of getting caught semi flat footed. I mean, you're, you're there with a gun. I mean, the worst case scenario, a bird starts working in and he's gobbling. You just sit down. Um, you know, it doesn't always work, but, uh, you know, sometimes a silent bird surprises you, but again, I enjoy turkey hunting for what it is, so I'm not always hunting the silent bird. I'll do it if I have to, but I prefer to to move, find that hot bird, especially in the early and late seasons, especially. Um, you have a lot of breeding activity in those two seasons for some reason, and you find a lot of birds that just just desperately trying to find that hen. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to be that hen if the opportunity is available. 
going back to something you <clears throat> you kind of touched on not that we need to dive into calling right now but like you know you said jason your your buddy jason's more conservative you're more aggressive is is over calling a turkey a myth no, I'm sure he's killed birds that I would not have and vice versa. Um, I think there are times that me screaming at a bird is the reason I kill it. And I think there's times that me screaming at a bird might be the reason he shuts up and goes the other direction. Um, and vice versa. I've been hunting with him before and he's telling me to shut up every two seconds and we're calling and calling and all of a sudden he's oh, I don't know what happened. That bird's done. You know, it's like, well, I think we could have got him. So so kind of can you overcall the them? The bird. Yeah, I, I think you can overcall a bird. It's just like like I've kind of said. I usually if I'm overcalling a bird, that's not a bird I'm killing anyways. It's just I'll work at a bird if I really, really, really have to. But I'm, I'm a heavy running gunner. That that's the fun for me. It's just getting on the birds, hitting the birds, having them gobble, having the conversation with them. It's uh you know the poor man's elk hunt for a reason. Will I sit in a blind and let one stumble by? Absolutely. Would I prefer to be out there and have them screaming at me? Absolutely. So that's usually my hunting style. And I mean, you know, they all work. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing you ever hear over calling is, is there is a time to shut up. Uh, you know, I'll take my temperature of the bird. You have a bird screaming in. You know, he's 60 yards and you can't see him you don't need to keep calling him every three seconds just to make him gobble. If anything, you're just slowing him down and creating more chain. Cause he's going to pop in a strut after every gobble. He's going to drag his feet. He's going to drag his wings. He's going to go back and forth. If anything, you're slowing down the time to putting that bead on the bird's head. So yeah, I'll call my brains out. And then once I start hearing things, you know, like walking, dragging, um, if he's really close spitting and drumming, I'm done. You're not saying a word. And especially if he starts gobbling on his own, he knows where you're at. I'll just swallow my diaphragm call, sit there, maybe scratch some leaves, and then just start looking for that red, white, and blue head bouncing through the woods. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. How do you kind of decide like when to shut up? Uh, and and that's a you know that's a very good point. I think something that I struggled with early that I'm definitely better with now was kind of knowing like, okay, when when do I stop calling? And I think being young and you know being a new turkey hunter, like you're mentioning, you know, every time I call that turkey gobbles, and this is sweet. But to your yeah. point, like, hey, you know, you're actually kind of slowing the whole game down. And now I feel like, and I don't really know even how to describe it. It's kind of like almost this innate sense that you kind of gather, I guess. Like, now I just feel like I kind of know, like, okay, this bird's coming. He's committed. Like, my job is done. Now I need to focus, like you mentioned, getting this bead on his head when he presents himself. Um yeah but is that kind of how it is for you? Like, do you kind of just feel like over time with experience, you've kind of built this sense of, okay, the bird's coming and, and, and now I need to stop. Oh, absolutely. My, probably my first four or five birds I killed. I I'll be honest, looking back on it, I don't know how, um, you, you know, I'm calling to them the entire time they're coming in, you know, they're 30 yards in a clearing in front of me and behind a tree I'm calling. Um, you know, it just go backwards to my bird last year called while he was on the roost he flew down i called he gobbled didn't hear anything for a while let out a call he gobbled and then he gobbled again it was the only conversation we had um you know he when he flew down i knew he was 80 yards from me so it was just yeah you're done so yeah some of it's just of course going to be experience you know you, you've watched birds you've seen how they react to your calls um 
you know, you learn more from the birds you don't shoot than you do the birds you shoot. Um, you know, anyone can walk out, have a bird come walking in, put a bead on the head and pull the trigger. It's, it's watching a bird, you know, his body language, his head come up, his, maybe he starts putting and it's like, okay, what did I do? I replay the events and then you don't do it the next time. And yeah, over 15, 20 years, you build a catalog of, okay, this has happened before. It's time to shut your mouth. Nothing, uh, nothing sets in panic for me. Like a, like a Tom that starts putting. I'm always like, Oh no, <laughs> Oh no. What happened? <laughs> you know, I, I, the, the putts actually don't scare me as much as another hen. That's um, fair. Another, uh, another hen, uh, I find that you can sometimes overcome a putt just by shutting your mouth, sitting still, um, let them drift off. Um, you know, turkeys aren't smart. Anyone who tells you differently doesn't know. Uh, they're, they're just, they're a bird with the size of a brain, a pea and 90% of it's breeding and eating. Uh, you know, they don't have this innate fear of humans. They don't, there's nothing that they're just, you know, oh, that's a person. They, they don't know. They just know they're not comfortable with something. Everything's trying to eat them. They flick off. But by that same token, I've had birds strut back out a hundred yards, calm down. You see them start feeding or picking at the thing. I call again, fan goes up and they're strutting right back in. Um, a hen on the other hand, Lord, uh, just so many things can go wrong. Uh, just more eyeballs. Um, you know, in the natural world, she goes to him anyways. So you run into that problem. Do you call? Because if you start calling, he gobbles. She's going to go to him. Uh, can you spook him? Probably not. I mean, which is a tactic we can get into if you want. But if you have a hen coming, you can absolutely chase her off as long as it doesn't screw your tom. It, yeah, hens are probably enemy number one. More than hunters, more than predators, more than anything else. A hen will ruin your hunt. Yeah, that's a good point too. See, I'm picking up things already because I think I probably let the putts and stuff get to me a little bit. To your point, you know, maybe I just need to let let things kind of happen and and work them again. So that's a good tip. I like that. Yeah, I mean, you, if you think about all the times you see a turkey getting scared of something, um, whether you're hunting them or not, you know, uh, sure, deer hunting, you've seen turkeys, and all of a sudden, you know, a blue jay, and they putt and they scatter for a second, and then they come back. You know, these turkeys they get scared by everything. So getting scared by you is no different than probably 90 other things during that day. That's going to put their alarm up. So yeah, let them drift off, shut your mouth, maybe change out your diaphragm call. So it's a different sound. Maybe I, I don't even think you need to overthink it that much, but it makes me feel better. So I do it. Um, yeah, it, pots aren't really that big a deal. Uh, I had it's game over. Yeah. There's nothing you're going to do about that. She's with him. She's going to drag him away from you. It's time to pack up, let them drift off, maybe try again later. Let's um, rewind just a little bit. So yeah. let's say like you found your bird on the roost in the morning. What's the setup look like for you? Kind of how close are you getting? Uh, what's that whole scenario look like once you've located that bird? So we're, we're talking perfect, perfect day scenario situation. Um yeah, actually, uh, last year, I'll just explain last year's setup because it's, it's the first time in probably 12 years that a perfect setup has come to fruition. Uh, so typically try to find, you know, where you know birds are. And I went out the night before and I put this bird to bed and said, okay, I know where he is. I know where I'm going to get him. So what I'll do is I'll get to you know, reasonably close to where I think he is. I try to give myself 150, 200 yards. Um, some guys get danger close. I don't. I don't feel confident enough pushing in that close on purpose. Um, 
uh, last year, for example, just by accident, he, I don't know what happened, but between me putting him to bed and the morning, he was 60 yards closer than he was the night before. So the sun comes up and he's literally on top of me, um, just right down a ridge. But uh, I don't mess around with decoys or anything on a roosted bird. Uh, I just, again, for me, it feels like more opportunity for hangups, uh, more opportunity for being seen. Uh, busting the bird out of the roost you know it's natural to want to find your tree and then find a good decoy spot and then you know maybe trim a shooting lane and that's a lot to happen within 100 yards of a bird that's waking up and kind of taking stock of his surroundings so what i'll typically do is i just try to if he's far off i try to crawl in find a decent tree and just sit down make sure i got a decent angle of shooting Um, i bring a little pair of hedge clippers they're quiet um, little pruning shears and just maybe cut some of those little pickers or stickers or little branches, nothing that's going to hit the gun barrel. But other than that, I'm sitting down and I'm just relaxing. And I kind of let the morning unfold. Um, I'll let him call, let him gobble. Um, as the sun starts coming up and you start hearing some more of those animals that, you know, are starting to wake up, I, I very, very soft tree elps. Just let them kind of know I'm there. Um, to be honest, if there's hens with them and I know there's hens with them, I might not even do that. Um, but, uh, a lone turkey all by himself. Yeah. Let out some soft tree elps. Um, usually he'll respond to that. Uh, then right about the time, I think it's time for him to fly down. I'll, I'll hit him very aggressively. Um, I like using a fly down wing. I'll do a fly down call. I. If he's interested, usually he'll come down very shortly after that. He'll gobble two or three times, spin around, and then he'll flap down. Uh, once he's on the ground, it's 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 hammer time. Um, I'm hitting him hard. I'm hitting him often. I'm trying to make sure I'm not got a hen close by or maybe another tom. Maybe sometimes you can create a race. My hope is that the tom is desperate enough that he's flown down before anything else is flown down. Um, which usually you'll see hens usually come down a tad later than the toms do. Um, I want this wrapped up before any interference can come in. So I'll call. And then like we talked about earlier, though, you do have to know when to shut up. So like my bird last year, I was about 80 yards from him. He flew down. We played a game for about five minutes and then I heard him walking. I don't need to call anymore. It's it just let him come. He gobbled three or four more times, strutted back and forth, and finally popped over the ridge. In a perfect world, that's how it goes. Um, As I just said, though, that was my first time in about 12 years, I think, that that happened, like, to a book. But, you know, when you read the books, you watch the movies, you watch the videos, you watch the YouTube videos, yeah, that's that's how you always want it to happen, and that's how it should happen. Um, The biggest thing I see people wrapped up in is the decoys. You know, they have turkeys gobbling on the roost, going crazy. And then, you know, you're talking to them and they're like, yeah, I set everything up. And then I don't know what happened. They flew the other way and kept walking. Well, that turkey probably saw you. So when he flew down, he did, in fact, fly the other way and walk the other direction. Um, and, you know, be, you don't know what's on that other side. Maybe there's a barrier he flew over. Maybe there's a hen. He, he's not coming. It's just not going to happen. So. I, I can't say I've ever heard someone break down a morning like like what you just did as far as if the tom has hens i'll let them talk i won't talk if he's alone i'll do some soft tree yelps if he's if he makes a sound like that that was outstanding like i've never i've always 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 when i've hunted roosted birds a use decoys 
and B, done the same sequence every time. <laughs> tree yelps, some soft tree yelps, maybe some soft tree clucks. Um, just waiting to get that bird to gobble, getting it to gobble. Then I shut up, it flies down. And typically, well, everyone can say hello to my dog now. Um, <laughs> typically, like I, I'm a little bit over aggressive, but I, I wonder if, if it's that initial setup that, like you said, the decoys, the, the tree yelps when I probably shouldn't be using them, I'm likely way too close to, I mean, you're saying you're trying to get 150, 200 yards. I am easily within a hundred. Yeah. So I like to approach a little later than a lot of people would. I like to know what's going on before I start walking in. If I get lucky, you know, I, certain places I've hunted and I know there's birds, I know kind of what trees they're in. You, you can get pretty close, but generally speaking, once they start gobbling, it's, you know, it's fairly light most of the times. So I like to be able to see where I'm going. I'd rather make an egress quiet to get to a hundred yards than sneak in and be 60 yards. And then have the ability, you know, even your phone, you check the time and the light from the phone, you know, they have good eyesight. Um, you can talk in front of them, you can step on sticks, you can do whatever, but I don't want them to see me. I don't want them to remember, hey, there was something there in the morning. I don't want to go there. I mean, I'm anamorphizing them a little bit here. Um, they're not that smart, but again, everything's trying to eat them. I, I've seen it a hundred times where it's like, you know, that turkey probably saw you on the walk in and there's no way he's ever flying your direction when he comes down. Um, as far as the tree elps, that just came with experience. I found that me competing as a hen would cause the hens to get loud. And then everything in the woods starts getting loud and I get lost in the fray. Um, instead, what I'll do is I'll start gobbling. I still will do the fly down because my hope is then still, even if he's in a tree with 13 hens, I do the fly down. I'm ready. And I'm hoping the Tom, you know, some kind of sexual cue, whatever, knows that if he's the first on the ground, I'm the first hen on the ground, he doesn't have to fight anyone for it. Um, so it's not like I just give up all hope and abandon everything if there's hens with them. I mean, I still play the game. I just, the game changes a little bit. A uh, lot less talking when he's in the tree and then try to get him on the ground. Like I said, I do my fly down and then I just try to hammer him and get it done before before the hens join the party. Right, right. So it does, doesn't always work. So you're walking in gray light or after in, in well no i'll usually uh areas i don't know yeah I'll, okay. I'll stick to the trail i'll walk in early just so i'm there i mean it's public land mm -hmm. um that makes sense you know i'll put my park at the uh at the entrance walk down the trail sit on a ridge top you know good listening spot i mean last year i was out at 3 30 with the saturday opener and COVID. i knew the woods would be packed so i just tucked myself up against an oak tree on the trailhead and you know got my sweater on and my hat on and I think I watched The Office for a minute on my phone. Um, and then, yeah, I, I mean, I knew there was going to be nothing within a few hundred yards of me. So I, I, I was all right. You know, you can stretch out. I'm texting buddies that are starting to wake up. But yeah, I don't start moving into a bird until I know where I'm moving. Um, I want to see those obstacles. I want to see those logs. I mean, I've had turkeys hang up over a six-inch aspen laying across between me and him. I'm just trying to take as much of the guessing work out of it. Um you know, a lot of people think, think, well, then, okay, that's fine. Let's get super close. But again, I think it's better being able to look at the whole lay of the land, you know, look at that ridge as you're approaching where that turkey's gobbling and saying, okay, there's not a whole lot between me and him. Work your way in there, get to a good spot, get comfortable where you're not going to have to move a lot. 
you can have good shooting lanes. I think that's infinitely more important. That's it. I've, I've done that deer hunting on public land where if I'm going in blind to an area picked out on a map, I don't know it that well. I'll, I will. I mean, this happens because I tend to not wake up early. Cody knows that, <laughs> but like, um, I will purposely set up my tree in gray light because I know yeah. that I can be quieter. Yes. You know, I can sneak in, I can see sticks, I can see rocks, I can see loose this, that, and the other, and I can get to my tree and not make a ton of noise. Well, and there's also nothing more frustrating if you're not 100% familiar with the area. You sneak into a spot, you're right on top of the gobbler, you're 80 yards, everything looks textbook. And then the sun starts coming up and you notice there's a little runoff creek or something like that that's got water in it from a heavy rainstorm. You know, if he's got hens with him especially, he's not crossing it. Unless he coasts down and flies over top of it, and then now what do you do? Whereas opposed to if you wait a little bit longer, you can kind of see what's going on. You might be able to look and say, okay, cool. He's not going to come to the left. Let's swoop around right. You know, we can get to within 100 yards of him. Yeah, I still like to get close. 100, 150, 200 if I have to. Um, but yeah, it's not paramount to be right on top of him. I think it's a lot better to know, kind of imagine how you would come to that tree if you were him. And uphill. Try to stay uphill. Um, it keeps them searching. When they get up, I don't know if you've ever, ever seen it, but uh, if you set up downhill from a rooster gobbler, he flies down and just sits on the ridge and looks around. Um, doesn't have to go anywhere. So little things like that is what I look for. Adam, I feel like uh, that fly down uh, piece that you do and then getting aggressive as that bird comes off the roost is some next level stuff. Not something I've done, but something I'll be trying now. But you, <laughs> so you kind of feel like you can almost coax, and I mean, maybe we're talking just if this bird is alone, but you kind of feel like you can almost coax him off the roost more more to you or earlier with that. Is that kind yes. of like, okay? Yes, uh, sometimes. Uh, it, it, again, it doesn't always work. You kind of read the bird. Sure. Sometimes you do a fly down, you know, he gobbles his brains off, and then two seconds later, you're hen yelping, and you're like, oh, okay. that's. But yeah, like, uh, you know, I'll just keep going back to my 2020 bird. It was, it was literally textbook. I did the fly down a cackle and I kind of do a couple little leaf shakes. And then it's not three seconds later, I hear a natural fly down. And then shortly after the natural fly down, there's a gobble and it sounds much different because he's not resonating from a treetop. He's on the forest floor. So it's like, okay, yeah, that, that worked. And yeah, he gobbled on his own two or three times. I let out one more little call just to, well, just because I probably didn't have to, but I couldn't help myself. And yeah, then it was, you could hear him just start scanning. Okay. Where is he? Where is he? And there he was. Um, yeah, I think shooting light was at, I want to say 640 and he was dead by 643 that morning. So, I mean, it, it sometimes happens that way. Um, and again, you know, nothing's foolproof, but I mean, if it sometimes works, it, I've never spooked a bird by doing a fly down, you know, turkeys fly down, they make a racket doing it. Um, it's not something I'm scared of doing. So if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But if it does, it's, it's, it's absolutely magic when it does. Cause you, you know, that Turkey's dead. He just, he doesn't know it yet. Yeah. It's kind of, I guess one more like thing in your bag of tricks. And to your point, it's not like you're going to do harm with it. So no, yeah, that's definitely something I'll be trying this spring. I almost feel like we shouldn't have talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm noticing a couple manufacturers are selling uh, fly down wings now, so I think ah, the secret's shortly yeah. going to be out. So. Yeah, I think so. I'm, I think so. I'm going to my my mom's house this weekend, and I know that they have wings from old birds, and it 
I'm going to bring one back if they have like a spare one laying around. I almost back. brought mine up from the garage to show it on the on the camera, but if it was the it was from my very first turkey, it's made out of an old old hockey stick and a uh, and a pipe uh, pipe nut. But yeah, I can't I can't bring myself to replace it. So, um, Adam, let's uh, let's talk about calling a little bit. I know you've mentioned diaphragm calls. Do you kind of yeah. use the whole gamut? What are your What are your preferences? Yeah, the, you know, really the only thing I won't carry, um, and it's not because I won't or I have any adverse reaction to it, I've just never found one I've absolutely loved, um, is a box call. Um, I don't like them for up close because of the movement. Um, I love them for punching through wind and stuff. It's just, again, just a force of habit. I've never owned one, so I'm not comfortable with it. Uh, I'm sure there's people that will even listen to this and think, oh, what an idiot. That's my favorite call. And they're, they're probably right. Uh 90, I'd say probably 98% of my calling's done with the diaphragm. I, I just, I, I like the noises you can make. I like the way you can mute it and carry it. Um, you know, it's just like every other kind of calling, um, elk, duck, whatever, hand position can just change everything. Uh, it sounds the best. It's the most natural, requires no movement. That being said, atmospheric conditions will play in that. A really windy day, I just know I'm not reaching the audience I need to with a with a diaphragm. Um, so the pots will come out. Uh, big fan of the friction calls. I, I actually really like glass. Um, again, it's mostly just preference because of when I'm using it. I'm usually using it windy days. It's just got a higher pitch. It just seems to cut the air better. Um, I think for most people, though, a slate would be their perfect call. Um, it's nice. It's quiet. It's subdued. It can reach out and touch them. It can get those high piercing notes, but it's just easier to use. Uh, I don't really have any particular way I select a call um, other than how it sounds. Um, most of my calls are custom made by Jason, uh, my pot calls. Uh, most of my diaphragms, I'll be honest, I buy probably three every year, use them that season, and then buy three the next year, call them, and then pick one that I really like and throw it in my, in my pouch, and that's what I use. Uh, it, mostly early with your diaphragms. Are there any cuts that you prefer? I, I prefer batwing. Um, I, I just think it, it allows you to make the widest variety of sounds with the best volume. Uh, again, I'm a loud mouth though. So if you prefer real subtle, quiet talks, you probably want to go with the, something a little more subdued with like a cutting, they call it a cutting cut or like a viper cut, you know, maybe two reeds. I just like that three read with the aggressive cut, real raspy. allows a lot of air to go over it, a lot of volume. Um, but you can soften them down, too. You just don't open your mouth as much. Don't let as much air go through. Talking about diaphragm calls is hard because it's it's kind of like telling someone how to ride a bike but never actually showing them a bike. Um, it just, if you can use one, I suggest it just because the, the movement, it's, it's just brilliant. I mean, you can have your cheek to your gun eye down the sights, not being able to see, you know, maybe the bird disappeared for a second. You want to let out just a little cluck and purr. You don't have to do any movement whatsoever. Um, but again, yeah, you have to know its limits. Windy days, crappy days. And yeah, it might be better to pull out the pot call. I actually will use a pot call a lot when I'm doing a lot of midday setups. And you don't have a bird, you're just kind of broadcasting and deer hunting for them. Is that just for kind of that reach? Like, like you mentioned, breaching the audience, you feel like you're kind of getting it out there a little bit. More. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I, you know, it's, it's noon and nothing's happened. 
and I'm crawling out to a field edge or something. And I set up on a field edge, get myself comfortable, cut myself into kind of the edge, give myself a nice little shooting lane. And then, yeah, I'll pull out the pot call, let out a couple series. And that's kind of how I'll do it until something starts working in. And then the diaphragm gets dropped in, at least for me, the diaphragm gets dropped in and I'll actually have a, a conversation with the bird mouth to mouth. Do you have a, like a particular kind of cadence that you follow or like so many notes or is it, is it just kind of, kind of random for you? It's got, it, it, a lot of it's based off the temperature of the bird. Um, you know, if you get fortunate enough, like a midday bird, oftentimes you can see it, you know, you're sitting in a clearing, a strut zone, a large open hardwood, you know, you can see how he's responding to you. Sometimes you get a little aggressive and he just wants to park and strut and, you know, come to me. Uh, my cadence kind of varies. Uh, I, I like yelps with cuts. A lot of people get stuck into the, just the yelp, 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 yelp. Um, I like to break it up on occasion. You know, best way to describe it would be like yelp, 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 cut, 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 yelp, yelp, cut, yelp, yelp. I don't know what it is. It's just something different. Um, as far as numbers or anything like that, you know, they always say that, you know, don't do more than seven yelps or, you know, there's always some arbitrary number that some old hat puts to it. But if you go to YouTube, you can find a video. I think it was on the Mediator podcast where they talked about a hen 75 times in a row. I, I, if you ever listen to a hen turkey, they don't know what the heck they're doing either. They just talk, cluck, purr, yelp. Just call. You know, get, get your basics downs, your putts, your clur, your, your uh, purrs, your yelps, and you'll kill a bird. You don't have to get too fancy about it. Um, that being said, there are times when you know a bird's hend up or anything like that. You know, he, he's not going to respond well to you just slamming him. You, I mean, you might gobble a lot. You might be better off doing a lot more purrs and just subtle clucks and acting disinterested. It might change the tide for you. Um, but that's not too hard to figure out, I'd hope. Uh, if you see a bird that's been strutting for an hour and not moving, yeah, change it up. I feel like I always kind of fall into like this habit of just, and not even really thinking about it, just kind of like I'm always doing the same cadence. I do the same thing. I like that you mentioned that I kind of yelp and cut and try to mix that up. But I'll, like I try to almost look at it like the way I'm working like a streamer with fishing. I try just to not, yes. you know, the same retrieve every time. So I try to be mindful of that. But that's a good point. If you listen to hens like in the wild, they, like you said, they don't know what they're doing. And it, it varies yeah. so much. So I do. They try often to be sound like the that. worst callers too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it's funny you brought up the fly fishing thing too, because you're always right. You always get your best strikes when you're not paying attention, because you're doing something different. You know, you're you're getting that strip, 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 and then you might say something to me, and I don't don't move it for a second, and as soon as I strip it again, bang, you know, there's a fish. It's kind of the same way, you know. Um, the only real difference to approach is, like I said, it's a turkey with hens versus a turkey without them. Uh, you know, you can try getting aggressive that don't work, soften it down, you know, just, you know, read your audience. He might gobble to everything, but it, you know, judge how he's gobbling. Is he getting closer? Is he not? I mean, a lot of people spend four hours at a bird that hasn't moved 10 feet in those four hours. It's, it's not working. <laughs> try something different or leave. It's really hard to do, but sometimes leaving is your bet. Just try again later. So kind of, kind of backing up and staying with the same theme here. So say you, well, to stick with calling real quick, 
you're saying stick with the basics. Yelps, clucks, purrs. Get really good at those. And then Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we I've talked a lot already about, you know, fly downs and everything else. You're gonna do yourself a lot better at being an expert at three things than being semi proficient at all of them. Um, you know, there are things I can't do well. I can't purr well with a diaphragm. Um, some people can just make it sound amazing. I can't. Um, yeah, but uh, risk of sounding cocky in a way, I I can yelp with the best of them. Like my yelps sound amazing. I've called in hunters. Um, you know, I don't know why hunters are coming in hand calls, but it's happened. Uh <laughs> Get really good at the basics. You know, there's a reason everything's titled, you know, the, you know, the, the cluck box or, you know, the, you know, the perfect call or, you know, there, there's the basic, you know, yelps there. Yelps are 90% of the language. Um, cuts, clucks, know your difference between your alarm clucks. Cause that's a mistake. A lot of people make is they, they, they think they're, they're clucking when they're putting and, uh, you know, I don't know what the turkey's thinking, but it can't be thinking this is a, an amazing setup. Yeah, you, you know, get really good at your basics. Don't worry about wrapping up and everything else. Um, you know, and don't be afraid to cheat. Like, like I said, I'm not good at purring. So if I know I want to get real quiet and start getting subtle and purring, and I'll pull out my, di- uh, my uh, slate calls and just purr. And then, you know, maybe work the diaphragm in over it because I'm better at yelping on my diaphragm than I am on my slates. Um you know, you don't have to play by these purest guidebooks. I mean, if you want to, you want to use a push button call, that's fine. Just be, be good at it, be proficient at it. And you don't even really have to be amazing at it to kill birds, but you don't have to get real fancy. You can get through with just the basics. And it's important to know that it's, it's not as intimidating as people think it is. Yeah. I think that's, I think it's good to know. Um, Cause I, mean, I know that when I started calling, learning diaphragms, um, cause I, I had a slate, or something of a slate. It was like a, an old black widow. I think it was called with a, I had a plastic, uh, plastic striker. It made good sound, at least for, for what I thought. Um, but I tried diaphragms and I tried learning everything. And I mean, yeah. fly downs, yelps, clucks, purrs. I tried gobbling. That was a big mistake that didn't, <laughs> it, it, it got Jake's fired up, but it scared everything else away. Um, <laughs> And, you know, that's a good point, though, too. I want to go back to that that alarm cluck because it didn't hit me until last year that I was like, am I actually clucking or am I putting? Am I doing something that's completely scaring all these birds away? And and then and um, I just didn't work on it enough. But that's something to keep in mind for sure, I think. Well, with the, with the putts too, it's important to remember it's a, it, you can turn a mistake to call into something that works. Like if you are all of a sudden going and you realize, holy crap, I might be actually alarm putting, change the cadence, make it into a cut, you know, speed it up. So it's not just putt, putt. It turns into cluck, 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 cluck. Um, you, you can bail yourself out of a lot of troubles with calls. Um, like we said earlier, hens are terrible callers. So you don't have to be a fantastic caller to do it. Really, it's just knowing when to shut up, when to call. That's about all you need. Right, right, for sure. So kind of going out through, throughout the day. Yeah. 
your your roost setup doesn't work. Bird flies the other way. It's now, let's call it nine o'clock, which is commonly the time when I'm I am lost. Um, it will either result in driving around a little bit to try to find a spot to park and a new spot to hunt. That commonly leads to being me being home by ten thirty, and and just like what's your what's your process for midday mid morning kind of stuff all right well you you are making the most common mistake in turkey hunting um i probably can't see it but behind me i've got a a ziploc bag full of turkey feet i'd say 90 percent of those turkey feet have happened after 8 30 in the morning um i like to refer to especially in the early season about 9 a.m is what i call the golden hour um guys like you have left um <laughs> and you know, like people me. are getting break. People are getting breakfast, or they're going home, and you know, going doing going to the bathroom or whatever. Um, you know, there's a dead spot. So okay, you're you're you got about an hour after fly down. That magic can seem to happen, and then yeah, there's absolutely a dead spot. You know, let's pretend shooting lights at six thirty. So from six thirty to seven thirty, that's kind of your magic. Roost doesn't work. You're driving around. You're walking around. You're trying to find hot birds. By seven thirty, it's starting to feel like nothing is sounding off in the woods, and you're probably right. There is a weird little spot. I will spend that time, kind of looking over maps, looking over apps, um, and this is where it becomes important to you know know where turkeys are as opposed to just a turkey um i'll kind of plan my attack like if i've got a nice spot that i normally don't go to in the morning because it's a 20 minute walk to get back down this trail nothing's happened by 7 8 o'clock i might spend that 8 a.m hour taking a walk you know just looking around listening hit my locator calls i don't often use turkey calls that time of morning um i just you get a lot of what we call courtesy gobbles you get turkeys that are you know strutting with their hens and everything the gobble once and then you'll never hear them again um same thing happens with locator calls of course but at least you kind of know you're on the right track you you hear them but they're not coming um by nine o'clock though something something happens uh, i can't really describe it um i, I if nothing's happened uh, it's the one time i will what i call deer hunt for turkeys i'll get set up at a nice spot have a nice comfortable place set up by about 8 30 and just start you know just kind of doing my calls and just letting it go and usually if you're in a place where you know there's turkeys there's one that has already left his hens never found a hen maybe got beat up earlier who knows? Um, there's a second breeding that seems to happen mid-morning between like 9 and 10.30. And it can absolutely be your best time of day. You're not going to hear 400 gobbles. Not everything's open in their mouth. But it's probably your best chance to kill a bird one-on-one um, without competition. Hens are hitting the nest or they're hitting feeding areas. If that turkey's gobbling and coming, there's very few things between you and him that is going to stop them. Uh, it makes for a really interesting time of the morning. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of ways of going about it. Like, I like to walk into a nice place that I know that there's turkeys, whether it be a hardwood ridge, a field, uh, you know, field clearing, um, sit up and call and wait. Um, you can you can do the, the strict run and gun. You know, you can parking lot hop. You can hit spots, hammer calls, nothing there. Just know what happens quick. You know, if you pop out of the car, hit the goose call, and something fires up, you know, grab your gun, grab your vest, and run. You know, get in there, find a comfortable spot, set up, call, 
there's a good chance if that turkey gobbles more than once, he's coming. Um, you know, it's not a, gur- a courtesy gobble anymore. I always call it, you know, the, the certainty of death goes up by 100% if a 9 a.m. turkey gobbles once without you calling to him. It's, uh, in a weird way, it almost takes the fun out of it because you know, you know he's coming whether you do you screw it up or not. You, you, it's going to be kind of hard to do. Like I said, there it's harder to find. It, it's um, you know you're looking for that that bird. You're not looking for birds. Um, but yeah, it'll happen. Um, it is absolutely the best time of day, and you're missing out if you're at home eating breakfast during it. You mentioned uh, your you know your hunt last year where it was kind of like that picture perfect roost hunt and and that's a lot of fun and i've i've had you know maybe one or two hunts like that or whatever but over the last few years i've really grown to love that midday uh kind of mid-morning madness i guess and i think i even told aaron this last year like probably if i had to pick to hunt that like first hour or like from 10 to noon like i think more recently i'm taking 10 to noon like i just love it oh absolutely i can do that run and gun like you say you know i'm finding kind of the bird that wants to play the game like like you mentioned, you know, he starts hammering off and like, it's more than that courtesy gobble. It's like, okay, you know, he's coming now. I just need to seal the deal. But yeah, man. It, it's you and him. Oh, it's so it's much you fun. and him. It's, it's a nice, it's a nice thing. So much fun. And it, and it's like you said, it can happen so quick, but the action is just like so hot and heavy that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It, you know, it's hard to explain to people too. Cause you know, you driving around. Yeah. You might hit 13 spots before you find that bird that gobbles. It's, it's, so it's really hard to tell someone who hasn't experienced it. Like, no, you're missing out on the best time of day, but yeah, your, your odds of when you do find that one, it's amazingly high. And, you know, just to make sure I'm not counterdicting myself here. Like I said, I like to set up in a likely spot and call. Again, that's an area that I know there's turkeys. You know, I've seen tracks, dusting sites, everything else. I know there's something close by. You know, there might be nesting areas close by, uh, which, hot tip, if you're a bird hunter, if it's a place woodcock like to go, it's probably a place turkeys are nesting. Um, so, you know, you find that stuff close by, you set up, you call. If that, yeah, if, you know, turkeys start gobbling, it's going to happen. Uh, a couple years ago, I brought out a guy who wanted to photograph a hunt and, you know, 930 came, we hadn't even heard a gobble yet. And I told him, I said, Hey, I got, I got a hunch and, uh, went to this little field clearing. We sat down, made two calls and a turkey gobbled a mile off. Well, then about half a mile off, he gobbles on his own. And I looked over at him. I said, this is going to happen. And he says, well, don't you want to call or anything? I said, I don't need to. He's coming. I let out one more call and yeah, he was, he was done. That was 945 in the morning. So, I mean, you know, again, some of it's luck too, Aaron. I see you shaking your head. I mean, it's, it is luck. It's being where the turkey is and, you know, getting on them. But yeah, at nine o'clock in the morning, you find that bird. It's, it's, that's the bird. He's infinitely easier to get than the bird on the roost. Yeah. I, I think, I think some of the part of the thing that I've struggled with, with that midday is like you said, you're going to spots where you know there are birds and that, so let's say there's a 80 acre property. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's 60 acres of woods, 40 acres of field. You know that you've seen birds in that property at some point, but you're going to the field edge in that, or a clearing, an opening in the woods, something like that. Not always. So if I have 80 acres, I'm going to know it well. And you'll probably like, uh, Cody, you said you hunt a lot of private land. You probably know that on certain days, 
like rainy or windy, they're kind of hanging out over here. Or, you know, if it's kind of cloudy or whatever, they might stay in the hardwood. Again, a lot of the stuff does come with experience. But if you know that there's turkeys in the area, even if he's in the field and you're 30 acres away inside the open hardwood, if that's a place that turkey has been, has goes, has is comfortable with, and you're sit up nice and comfortable on a tree and he's all alone at that nine o'clock hour and he's not, in, you know, and he's, he wants to play. He will absolutely play with you still. So it's it's not like you have it's not like you have to be in the perfect spot. That's why I love that nine thirty to ten o'clock. Whereas in the morning, there's so much going on. You know, the hens, everything's going on. They're fighting each other. You know, there's so many things that can go wrong in that you know twenty acres between you and him. Versus that nine a.m. If he's gobbling and he's coming, there's he's got a one track mind. That's that's what's happening. So you don't have to guess right 100% of the time. Does it help? Yeah, it'd be a lot easier to kill him if he's already going to the field and you're there. Um, but you don't have to be in that field when he's in that field. If he wants to play, he'll play. It's more just being in the area of where turkeys have been. They know the area. Yeah. They're comfortable with it. Okay. Yeah, if you, know, you set up on a ridge that they normally feed in, you know, maybe they're not there that day. Maybe everything I'm saying right now turns out to be not true. But... You know, you, you just play the odds. They use that ridge. I've seen turkeys on this ridge. I've heard them at nine o'clock in the morning. Okay, well then go sit there. See what happens. See if you can get a bird to fire up. You know, I don't spend a lot of time at it either. I'll set up in a spot and if, you know, nothing's happened, I haven't heard anything in a half hour, I move. Now that's a mistake on my part. It's just the way I like to hunt. Um, I don't like spending two hours on a bird that doesn't make a noise. A lot of guys kill a lot of birds doing that. It's just not my style. I'll just keep moving until I find that one. So you're looking for that. You're looking for that bird that wants to play your game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's tons of them. They're fun. I like listening to them gobble. Yeah. I, uh, I like that you bring that up. Cause I've had that happen a few times in the middle of the day, you know, or I keep saying middle of the day, but it's more middle of the morning. Um, but I'm trying to strike birds up or whatever, and I'm kind of turning and burning and then, it's happened a few times where like I'm coming up to the field edge as the turkey's coming over the hill. And it's always like, son of a bitch. And that's always my initial reaction. But then I'm kind of like you where I'm like, eh, I mean, the, the bird was coming in quiet. Like I want to play the game. I want a bird that wants to play the game. There'll be more. But yeah, it definitely happens. Like that silent bird always gets me right at first, but then it's like, eh, I'm just going to keep moving anyway. I can say unequivocally, I have killed one silent bird and that's only because he came in fast. Um, other than that, yeah, I, I mean, yes, I know it's a mistake. I know I would probably end my season a lot more often at nine in the morning. Had I just sat down, shut up, um, heck down South, they did a big GPS study in those. I think they, again, if you listen to the mediator podcast, they talk about this once or twice, but you know, they'll have guys go out and call and two hours later, that Turkey's GPS signal is right where that guy was calling. <sighs> Again, though, this isn't deer hunting. Um, for me, the fun is in what we're describing, you know, setting up on that field, listening to them. That's not to say that if I sit down and a bird doesn't say a word and he comes stumbling across that ridge, I'm not going to shoot him. I mean, that that's that goes without saying. But I'm looking for that. I'm looking for the experience. Um, you know, hunting's 90% experience, 10% finishing. Turkeys, for me, are fun because of everything they are. I don't, I don't necessarily like to do the tactic that turns it into something else. Yeah. It's, I mean, similar like to even elk hunting, you know, lots of guys kill elk, 
spot and stock guys set water but it's like man i just like the interaction i like the calling i like the action so yeah multiple ways to skin the cat but let's face it i mean you're out there to have fun too so why not do what you enjoy yeah yeah you know every i've been fortunate i think uh two years ago was the first year in a couple it took more than a couple days to do it um but, you know, in a weird way, I always have a sense of remorse afterwards. You know, it's like I kill a bird opening day and it's like, okay, well, now what? That was fun. Now I'm so I almost have gotten to the point where I don't mind knowing that I've blown opportunities because, yeah, it gives you more opportunities. Like, yeah, I played the game seven times this season as opposed to just once. Yeah, it's it's just it makes it a lot more fun for me. I'm always looking at like Instagram that first morning because I'm like, I bet you Adam's <laughs> going to have a bird posted soon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, you, you become a slave to your own streak in a way though, too. Like, um, yeah, that's fair. You know, two years ago, the, the fall beforehand, my wife had gotten really sick. I didn't bird hunt all fall. Um, you know, that Turkey season, I, I don't want to say I did it on purpose, but I think there was a subconscious level where it was, there's a lot of opportunities where I knew in my head that was like, okay, if you crawl in here, you get down this ridge, you probably get an opportunity. And I didn't do it. And it wasn't until I think I killed a bird the third day that year. And it wasn't until that third day when I finally harvested a bird and I had that crushing sense of like, it's over that I realized what I was doing. I was purposely dragging my feet just to swallow up all those experiences, you know? Um, yeah, it's it's kind of change of perspective. I mean, you know, last year I got lucky. You know, three minutes into the hunt, definitely wasn't my intention. Well, I guess it was. I guess you go out there to do it, but uh, yeah, you know, play the game. You know, anyone can pop up a blind, throw out some decoys, throw a call every thirty minutes, and hope one stumbles by. I infinitely think I think it's infinitely more fun to just go out and you know get into the woods, listen to everything, watch the woods wake up around you you know, sitting against that tree midday, watching that, you know, chipmunk run around back and forth. Like there's just so much going on in the spring that it's, it's just not worth spending it sitting in the blind or just over an alfalfa field, you know, just get out, move, run, walk, enjoy it. I mean, it is the poor man's elk hunting. Use it. You know, we, th- these are the good old days. <laughs> That's most people forget that. They, like you're the rarity, Cody, that uh, someone got you into it. Most people, you know, like my parents never hunted turkeys. It just wasn't worth it to them. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's that's something I wanted to bring up. I think that's really cool. Uh, I see online quite a bit that you're, you're, and I don't know how many people take you up on it, but you're constantly offering to get people out, call for them. Like, I think that's really neat that you're kind of always like trying to repay the favor. Do you, do you usually get out with some other people during the season? Yeah, I try. Um, I, I didn't last year, uh, again, COVID just threw everything for a loop. Uh, you know what I do for work. Uh, we had cases real early at work. So I, I would have felt terrible not knowing what we didn't know. You know, if I'd gone out in Turkey hunted with somebody and they got sick. So I just, you know, I had to withdraw a bunch of offers that I had, but I, I, in, in a way I almost prefer it. Um, everything we're talking about, you know, the, overthinking setups, running, getting here and everything. When I'm calling for somebody, I find that, I, you know, you see the forest through the trees a lot more. Um, you know, I, I'm watching the nuances a little bit more. I'm not as focused on the kill. It, it, in a weird way, it, it's become a lot more fun for me. So, yeah, I like doing it to get more people involved, but I, I'd also be lying if I said if there wasn't just a, a tad bit of selfishness there too. It, it's, it's a great way to stretch your season. 
Um, you know, especially in Michigan, turkey season only being a one and done things. Most seasons are a week long on state land. Yeah, I'll absolutely pile up seven, eight people if I can. I, I don't care if it's their first or their thirtieth. Like it just there's just something special about the spring. You know, it's just changing seasons. It's a very unique opportunity. There's nothing else that we hunt in the spring. And yeah, you just can't beat it. Um, I want to go back to kind of that mid-morning piece. So let's yep. move past that. Like now we're into the afternoon, evening. What does that look like for you? And how do you kind of hunt that differently? Or okay. do you hunt that differently, uh, I guess? Yeah, uh, late day's tough. Um, late day, they're feeding, they're with hens, you know, they're, they're sitting in their strut zones. They're working their way back towards their roost locations. Uh, I'd be lying to you if I said I ever cracked the code on that one. Uh, I, I typically hunt it like mid morning. Still, I try to find a bird that's gobbling. I, it, you know, it's happened. You get the bird that, you know, for who knows what reason, maybe he was crossing a road and he got across and his three hens didn't and went the other direction. And he just happens to be there. Every now and then you get lucky and you find a bird all by himself. Um, for the most part, it turns more into a game of woodsmanship. Uh, you know, they're gobbling, but they're not moving towards you. So you you kind of listen to where they're gobbling from. Maybe you're starting to notice while they're moving from right to left. And if you know the landscape well enough, well, maybe we can take a big loop and get up on the same ridge and see if we can just get in their path and maybe guide them our direction. Uh Generally speaking, I'll usually by one thirty or two, I'll pull an errand and that's when I'm going in. I'm glad that I'm a verb now. That's sweet. <laughs> in, in PA, the first two weeks of the season, you can't hunt past noon. You know, I, I almost, I, I wouldn't feel like I was missing anything, to be honest. Um, yeah, I've killed birds at two, three, four, five o'clock in the afternoon. By then, though, it's literally just, it's usually a grind. You know, sure, he might be gobbling, but it, very rarely are they ever just flying in on you. Yeah, the only the only time that I've ever had, well, I've never had luck where I've killed a bird in the afternoon, but we've had luck in the afternoon is when we're really close to where they fly up into the roost. Yeah. If we're really close to those areas, we've had birds around us or had chances of birds or friends have killed birds or families killed birds. But if you're not close to that, I, I mean, I haven't had that, had that kind of luck though. A close friend of mine works, uh, like I also work midnights, but he works midnights, I think six on one off. So he gets out in the afternoon a lot and, uh, he does fantastic, but you know, it's the style of hunting. I'm not super keen on. He does a lot of, uh, he's a bow hunter. So that's an added thing to it too, but he does a lot of blind sets in, uh, feeding locations. And just, you know, he'll call every 15, 20 minutes and he has decoys out. And, you know, I'm talking a lot of crap about decoys. I like decoys for what they are. Um, you know, it's just a different style of hunting, though. He, he knows kind of, like you said, he knows where the feeding is. He, he's not getting a lot of hot birds gobbling. They're usually only strutting because they're feeding across the field. And then all of a sudden they see another hen that they don't normally see or anything. Um, it can definitely be productive. It's just it. it it is strange that the bird kind of takes a, a hard switch almost after about one o'clock. It's, you know, even most hunting videos, I can think of like one of my Primo's videos, Will Primo's introduces a hunt and he says a rare hot gobbler at four o'clock in the afternoon. And we're talking about guys that, you know, 
probably hunt 80 days of spring. And even in the title of their video, you know, a rare hot bird. So yeah, usually by one, two o'clock heat of the day, I'm either loading up the boat and going walleye fishing or back home running dogs. Yeah. The grind is such a, such a good way to describe that afternoon. And I've said that before, like, like in PA, it does kind of suck that it stops at noon, but like, there's always that small part of me that wishes Michigan stopped at like one o'clock. Like yeah. I could still get one, that one, one thirty would be perfect yes. because I feel <laughs> like I need to be out there in the evenings. I never have very much luck in the evenings. The only bird I've killed in the evening, I think when I was walking back to a spot, he was coming out of the woods. I spooked him and just happened to call him back out. Um, but I always feel like I'm kind of deer hunting them in the evenings. Like you said, once in a yes. while you get that kind of like rare worked up bird, but it wouldn't hurt my feelings if we just like had to stop at one o'clock. No, it'd make it a lot easier on life. Yeah. You'd be home hydrating and eating. Yeah, absolutely. It it is. It's such a tough time. And, and I think kind of to your point, like if I enjoyed that style of turkey hunting more, like I maybe put more effort into kind of learning to hunt them more like deer per se, but yeah, it's just, uh, that's a good point with like the switch kind of flipping because it's almost like some of these times are like a totally different bird after two o'clock. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 I heard it, um, recently about, uh, daily testosterone levels changing in Turkey. So I did a little Googling, um, and in a weird way, I think it, I, I think it, uh, it helps turkeys, you know, that helps turkey hunters have a chance end of season and beginning of season, but it doesn't seem to be something that's widely known, but it's something that's or widely studied, but it's something that's widely known that even within a day, uh, a day, a turkey can go from being hot to trot to just totally disinterested in anything. He might not even be strutting. And it typically follows, um, from what I read, um, sunlight breeding activity and yes, time of day even. Um, they just are genetically not as interested in the afternoon for whatever reason that is. Um, and, you know, it, it makes it interesting in a, in a weird way, helps me feel better knowing that a turkey I heard today, he just might not be gobbling the next morning, not because something got him or another hunting, hunter got him or anything. He just might not be interested in it today, which is something that you also have to learn just to keep your confidence up too. like, you know, I might take Cody out to a spot on April 18th and then take Aaron out to the same spot on May 3rd. And there's still birds gobbling there. And it's like, well, how'd that happen? There's only one gobbling when me and Cody got out there. Well, yeah, there might've been four, just not interested. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought about the testosterone thing, but that's interesting. That's something, uh, that makes sense. Again, I, I'm asking Dr. Google, so it's not anything I'm an expert on. Yeah. Yeah. I think I heard it mentioned once and I did a little Google on it and yeah, it's, it seems to be a thing that they know happens. They just don't know the reasons. Yeah. And kind of like the natural physiology of that makes sense to me, but like you said, I'm sure the studies and stuff aren't really out there, but that'd be, that'd be super interesting to read more and like see more on. I guess it would make sense from a breeding standpoint as well. I mean, a hen's not going to go sit a nest at six 30 in the afternoon. So, you know, why be ready to do so at six 30 in the afternoon? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fair point too. Um, we've kind of been in and out of decoys a little bit. I know you sometimes don't use them. Sometimes you use them. Obviously you're a fan at times when, like, when are you using decoys versus when are you not using decoys? So I like decoys 
when I'm doing like that 9 30, 10 o'clock blind setup. Um, when I'm going out to a nice little ridge or, you know, field edge or something like that, and I, I'm hoping something happens. Um, I'll usually throw out a hen or if I'm feeling really squirrely, a hen and a jake. Um, you know, I'll invest the time in it. You're already walking in, you're setting in. Like you even said earlier, you know, you spooked a turkey out and you ended up calling them back. Things are walking through those fields all day long. I'm not worried about taking the time to set up a decoy. And, you know, my hope is in the opposite. Maybe I have a bird that isn't saying much and then he's strutting across and he happens to glance at that turkey and it takes all the focus off of what I'm doing and go right to that decoy. You know, I might be sitting there, you know, texting, texting Cody on Facebook Messenger and look up and there's a turkey walking in. I think the decoy help sometimes takes the focus off of whatever you might be doing. Um, but the same reasons, the reasons I usually don't do one when I'm running gun setup, I don't like taking the additional time. I don't know where he is. You know, that Turkey coming to you blind on those calls, he's scanning, he's looking for where that hen is. And, you know, my, I'm always trying to figure out, I'm always trying to make him think that the hens 10 yards further than he needs to be. I don't want that hen being smack dab 40 yards and then him seeing it and stopping and then deciding to be natural order, throwing his fan up, strutting back and forth and then done or infinitely worse scenario. I'm still messing around with the decoy and I spook him. So, it, so. so it's those, it's those setups where you're going in that midday. Is it, is it only when you're going into a spot not knowing where birds are or, most of the time, those midday hunts, you're running decoys. It, it kind of depends where that midday hunt is. Um, if I'm just kind of walking and strolling ridges, um, like a couple nice little trail complexes, I like to stroll that kind of follow hardwoods and stuff. I don't bother carrying them. Um, you know, I might be on my feet for two, three hours before I turn around and go to the car. Um, but vice versa, there's some places that I know I like to set up that are, you know, nice, you know, egg fields or CRP fields or something like that. Yeah, I'll drag them in. Worst case scenario, I'll stash them in a, you know, an autumn olive or a dogwood on the edge of the field and not use them, you know, decide to take a walk a little further in. Uh, I like bringing them a lot for first timers too. I don't know what it is. It's just giving them usually first timers, a lot of movement, you know, they want to move the gun too much. They want to move their legs too much. I, I feel like decoys take some of the attention off of the hunter and the collar. You know, they're less interested in what's going on around them and more interested in what's in front. Um, yeah, I don't hate decoys. I just typically don't carry them myself. Um, I do like it for the field though. Yeah. The visual, of just taking that away. Cause like I said, a midday hunt, if nothing's goblin, I, I, who knows what I'm doing? I'm scrolling Facebook. I'm Instagramming between calls. Sometimes just having that decoy out, maybe that Turkey's looking at that decoy and he's not looking at you putting your phone away. Do you mess around with full strut decoys, half strut? Do you, I mean, and I'll preface this by, I hunt private land. I hunt birds that aren't, aren't pressured, you know? So I, it, it's probably a totally different game on public land too. Um, it's something I like because one, I enjoy it. And then I feel like I have a lot of birds run into that, you know, just running into that, that visual cue. But is that something you've, you've used at all? Uh, no, mostly just for carrying um, my hunting style. I, I just walk a lot. Like, um, I, I, I always joke around that my diet, my best diet plan is a long Turkey season, um, carrying around a full, tur full strut Turkey decoy, uh, just doesn't bode well with that and also there's there's safety um like i said earlier 
in our conversation. I, I've had hunters walk into my call. Um, I'll still remember the year because I believe it's the closest I've ever been to getting shot. Um, it was uh, 2010. I had a bird working across a fairly decent open clearing. Um, he was about 100 yards out taking his dear sweet time, but he was coming. It was, it was a matter of time. And at about 60 yards, he threw his head up, his snood retracted, he wing flicked, he spun, and he walked away. And for the life of me, I couldn't, I'm sitting there, what the heck happened? I had moved. I, I, you know, I hadn't called in a few minutes. I thought maybe a deer had popped out or anything like that. And then I just moved my head and I'm looking at a, at a fully shouldered gun about 10 yards behind me. I'm not directly in the line of fire, but a lot closer than you would absolutely love to be. And I hear the guy go, oh, damn, that's a little too far. And he gets up and starts to walk away. And I made the choice that day just not to say anything to the guy and just kind of sit there and let him walk off. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it kind of spooked me out of uh, full strutters because I had, I had a decoy 20 yards in front of me with a bird gobbling out in front of me. And who knows what this guy would have done? I mean, you know, shooting the decoy, you know, decent full strutters look fairly real. Yeah, I just... I just don't mess with them typically. And it's actually a reason I'm actually glad reaping's illegal in Michigan. Would I love to do it? Absolutely. It looks like a riot. Do I feel like it's just asking for an accident on state land? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that safety portion makes sense. I mean, to your point, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't be using them if I wasn't hunting on, you know, private land where, like I said, I know I'm the only guy. So that, yeah, that makes total sense to me. Yeah. I mean, they, they might work great. I just have no experience with them just because I just, I've never. I used to want one. And then, like I said, 2010, I said, no, no more. Yeah. I, I remember you writing about that, about that hunt um, on, uh, what was that forum? Michigan Sportsman's Forum. Yeah. 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 I remember right. I remember reading that and just thinking to myself, like, oh my God, how do you, how yeah. do you sneak in on another hunter and not see them? And now you that know, I'm, it... now that I'm hunting public land so much out in Pennsylvania, because we have a, an ass load of it surrounding me i can totally see it but i could totally see somebody walking in on me or or mistaking me for a turkey or something like that and you know there's something that you know it wasn't in what we discussed earlier or anything that I'd, i'd i'd love to throw out there just in case there's someone who's big hunter never turkey hunted and decides they want to give it a shot is there is a weird turkey ethic that um I find that now turkey hunting has become more popular. It seems to be waning. Um, even though my area hasn't seen a license increase, um, I don't want to say the type of people, but the sect of people that are new into turkey hunting, I'm noticing, you know, the, their only experience is maybe deer or duck hunting and where it's a very, I don't want to say combat style, but, you know, you drive by opening day of deer season, you might see nine guys at every parking spot. You know, safety isn't even an issue, though, because, you know, especially during bow season, you know, guys are up in trees typically or in ground blinds or, you know, brush piles or whatever. Most people don't look like a deer in full camo. Um, turkeys, however, I, you know, when I first started turkey hunting this area, there was a group of people that were turkey hunting this area. And when we'd all kind of have conversations, it was always kind of widely known, you know, there's plenty of land for everybody. But that being said, if you know someone's parked at a spot, you, you got a fairly decent hunch that they're a turkey hunter just for safety's sake. I mean, this guy's in full camo. You might accidentally set up 40 yards behind him. He might have a turkey moving left to right, and he just can't get a shot on him. 
and you pull the trigger and you're, you're spraying them with hot copper. I, you know, it typically, if I see a car, I mean, they might be a mushroom picker. They might just be a trail walker. It, I don't even take chances with it anymore. I, I, I wouldn't be able to live with myself and I'm not going to pretend like I'm not above being able to make a mistake. That being said, recently, I've noticed that more often than not, when I get back to my car, there's multiple hunting stickers sitting in the parking lot at the trailhead. And, you know, I'm not talking big out West trailheads where there's, you know, we're talking this parcel might be a hundred acres. This parcel might be 60. It, it sets you up for, for potential accidents. I mean, you know, especially once a bird gets goblin, people start losing their minds. They start walking in on them, start trying to drive closer and closer. And, you know, I would have been guilty of it myself. And that 2010 taught me a lot, you know, just how close you can be to having a gun barrel pointing it at you when everyone's in full camo and making animal noises. So it's, you know, if you're a first time hunter, just, just, you know, find yourself a nice quiet spot and, and know that, okay, cool. That might be your spot that you scouted and you've done all this work on, but there's more. It's not worth getting shot over, get into the next car, get in your car, get to the next spot, take a walk. Yeah. We, we, uh, two years ago, there's a spot that we hunt out here. It's not very big, you know, maybe a hundred acres like you were talking. Um, and two years ago we pulled in, we were the first truck were first trucks there. When we left, the only other vehicle there were mushroom pickers. Just we could see them picking mushrooms as we left. Yeah. Um, and last year, my buddy went back to that spot. Um, he pulls in and there's four vehicles there already. Yeah. And he's just like, he, he said he drove around all morning trying to find a spot. And he's, he's like, there's, I mean, there's a ton of public land out here. He finally found one with no one, but I mean, you're cramming five, potentially 10 guys into one area like that. Now, Aaron, do you guys have quotas for your areas or like Michigan did? No, no. Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania's license structure is, it's got to be one of the cheapest in the country. Um, there's no quotas for certain areas, at least not, not in my area. There's not, um, which covers most of the state. I think down by down around Philly, uh, southeast part of the state, they get a little bit more stringent or, or they get a little bit more lax and give you more tags. Um, but my part of the state, like if you buy, if you buy a hunting license, like a fall hunting license, small game license, you get a spring turkey license with that. You also get a buck tag, a fall turkey license. I mean, I mean, it's for like $22. It's incredibly cheap. And so, but what you can do in Pennsylvania, which I'm starting to kind of question a little bit, is you can buy a second tag for $27. You have to buy that before the season, though, which is how they get you. Because two years ago, I bought a second turkey tag. Like, I'm killing two birds this year. I, I think I saw one and it didn't come in. <laughs> so, but yeah, we don't really have. There's really not quotas where I'm at, which, like I said, covers a good, a very good chunk of the state. That is one thing I am happy for here is um, the public land. You know, the areas I'm hunting, like most of the areas, of, like Oakland County, for example, um, there's a million point five people, six hundred hunters for your season. You know, it, it makes public land viable and that much safer. Which is, it's funny that I still have these run-ins with. Um, you know, with only 600 people in the woods at any given time, but 
it does happen and it's important to know yeah yeah i mean the the public land out here is as far as the spread to me is a lot like northern michigan i mean there's a there's a state game land that i hunt or used to hunt i haven't hunted it recently um it, it wouldn't shock me if at all if it was short of if it was just short of like nine thousand acres and that's one state game land you drive another half hour you're into three more and there's just so much out here. And then, you know, state forest land as well, which you can hunt on. There's a ton of that too. So you can really spread out. I mean, I think it was two years ago, I was three and a half, four miles in on an old logging road on turkeys. And I mean, in Michigan, I don't think I've ever been that far away from my truck. Even on the longest grouse sprouts that I've taken before biggest woodcock loops and getting lost and stuff like that i don't think i've ever been that far away from my truck it's so nice now too that i mean turkeys are everywhere like like you mentioned earlier adam like we're like we're kind of in the golden age the heyday whatever of turkeys like i can remember even like being young before uh i was really old enough to hunt myself but like i can remember my grandpa and a, a buddy or two like they went up north like that's where you had to go to find birds and that really wasn't that long ago and now it's like you know, even driving to work, like I'm just seeing birds and fields all over. I mean, they're everywhere. So the quotas are nice, like you mentioned, then it's, and then it's kind of nice that the population is so good across the state. You know, I think the opportunity is just out there kind of everywhere now, which is, is nice. Well, yeah, I think Michigan is number four for harvest in this country right now. Um, some of that's kind of foreboding though, because down south they're, uh, a little bit of conversation about, you know, when animals recover, you hit a peak and then you kind of settle into a, a number and they think they're in the settling stage. I, I don't think Michigan's hit the settling stage yet, but we're definitely post peak, it seems. Um, but yeah, these are the good old days, which is really nice. It does make me nervous, though, when people do start talking about multiple tags and over the counter draws and everything, because you know, if we just have to look to like Missouri or Alabama and, you know, where they're starting to see a little bit of a retreat in population, it's like, you know, we're spoiled here with turkeys. It is literally something that Michigan is a unique, almost a trophy state for. I'd like it to stay that way for as long as possible, selfishly. I mean, it's not hard to get a tag public land or private land is over the counter now, I believe. Um, in public land for the most part the opportunities are still there it's been a long time since i haven't been drawn so you mentioned um out of state hunting any interest for you and in like doing like you know like a turkey tour in the spring going other places doing your slam any anything like that on the horizon for you yeah absolutely that's that's where uh, my turkey hunting resume usually gets me snobby looks from the, the true professionals is uh i'm a one-trick pony in the state uh yeah i was uh I was planning on going to Ohio this year, um, just again with the with the COVID resurge this spring and where I work, there was talk about canceling vacations, so I didn't I didn't commit to anything. Um, kind of made a deal with my wife that uh, I would stop buying guns and start paying for hunts. Um, so I think I'm going to work on my slam here shortly. I, I think Texas and Florida will be easy to pull her into because she can come with me and just hang out. Um, uh, Wyoming might be a conversation we have to have at another time. <laughs> Try to get my Miriams. But yeah, I think in the next two or three years, I'm going to start uh, doing the tour. I, I, I want to try to knock out the slam at least. Um, 
I don't know if I'll ever make it to Mexico for Goulds and Oscillated, but uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe with recovery efforts, it might be a chance to actually hunt them in Arizona beyond the three tags that they give. But uh, yeah, I, I want to start season stretching, you know, Indiana, Ohio, just the local hunts, even Pennsylvania, because I think you can buy over the counter as a non-resident. Oh yeah. And you can, man, you can buy over the counter pretty much anything other than a doe tag here. You have to, you have to mail in your application in Pennsylvania for your doe tag. Don't forget your stamp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, and again with, with COVID, I was going to go to, uh, to Ontario. They finally opened up for uh non-resident. They're a two bird a day, uh, province, two, two, bird. two birds a season, oh, but you can kill two birds in one day. Oh, okay. And, uh, it's really, it's one of the cheaper hunts you can do as an American going into Canada, but again, borders absolutely slammed shut. So that won't be happening this year. So just a, a, a quick species thing. I thought Goulds were also found in like Texas and New Mexico and whatnot, or am I not thinking? I, I don't know about Texas, but I think New Mexico and Arizona have some, uh, I know Arizona has a season, but I think they only do like five permits or something like that. Mm-hmm. And one of them was what one of those governor auction permits where they sell it for a ridiculous amount of money to do more transplants. And um, I, I thought in most opportunities are well, all opportunities for the most part are in Mexico. Yeah. I had a hunch that the slam was probably on your list. I figured, I figured, uh, it'd be, and I think it'd be super cool. I have no doubt that you'll, you'll do that someday. It would be, it'd be, I'll be honest, it, it was really financials for the longest time. I mean, it's, I'm 38 now, but you know, if you, through your twenties, it's something you, you have the drive and the health and everything to do, but you know, maybe not the pocketbook to actually follow through on a random road trip to a Texas ranch, but, uh, you know, we're, we're finally getting there. So it's, it's going to happen sooner or later. No, I, I, I know that feeling you want to go out West, you want to go take this adventure you have you know you're you're fit you're healthy your back doesn't hurt because you slept wrong you know but you i mean there's no fine there's no responsible financial way that you can pull it and then by the time that you do get to that financial stability that you're like yeah i can take a trip out west i can take a trip to canada it's like all right well i mean back hurts knee hurts shoulder hurts crooking my neck because I looked, looked out the window the wrong way. Like, and then other people, obviously much more serious things, but it's interesting how that works. Yeah. I, uh, drew, I'm drawing a bear tag here in Michigan this fall. And, uh, it hit me a couple months ago that, you know, with everything being shut down and everyone just sitting around, not doing anything the last year that maybe I wasn't in the best bear shape. So I've been, uh, on the treadmill every day. And yeah, I can tell you it absolutely hurts every single day. Now I wish I had done it when I was 26, but you know, such is life, right? How many, how many points it take you to draw that? Uh, I'll have 14. Okay. I've got, so I've got eight right now. Um, and I, I want to say the, the area that I want to hunt Northern Michigan, that I think it takes nine. Um, I have a feeling I won't cash it in until I have 13 or 14 points just because like I'm looking ahead schedule and I was like, well, I'm going to Idaho this year. Um, chance I go 
again next year it's like okay well at what point am i fitting in this bear hunt like sacrificing yeah. an elk hunt for a bear hunt kind of a thing i really want to go but I, i'll be super interested to hear how that goes for you and, and your thoughts behind it and, um i think cody do you have any more any more questions you want to hit on no i mean we've pretty much covered everything i want to cover i know i've definitely picked up a lot of things um but I, anything I've else learned a, i've learned a ton today like just the kind of like turkey thing. 201 i love it yeah absolutely <laughs> well i appreciate you guys having me on like i said i'm glad we finally got to sit down and do it um one real quick thing we didn't touch on that i think is super overlooked um i did make a post i know you guys both follow me on instagram and facebook and stuff like that but uh people do not pattern their guns and yeah with these new super expensive and especially now hard as hell to find ammo do yourself a favor though you owe it to the things that you're chasing pull the trigger set up a box spend 20 30 40 50 60 bucks actually see how your guns go on i i like if you remember the post i posted i i bought premium tss ammo i'm running a 70 dollar choke tube out of it and it i would have been wounding turkeys past 35 yards it's got nothing to do with the ammo it's got nothing to do with the choke but just every gun is different it just did not like that combo it's real easy to get wrapped up in the hype especially with the new tss which i do highly recommend um it uh you know, that you just want to buy something expensive and go, well, it's going to work. You still have to figure it out. You know, you guys know going out West elk hunting, you're not just going to go to the gun store, buy any random box of 30 out six or 270 and say, okay, cool, let's go. You're going to send rounds down range. You know, and it's super important you do that with turkeys too. I have to take it back. That does, that does uh, remind me of one thing I wanted to ask you about. What's your thought about um, the, uh, 410 round for turkeys i'm uh, you may have saw it where vortex posted like the 12 versus the 410 i thought that was super interesting yes. but what's what's kind of your take on that well th- i will be using my 410 this year um i i bought some nice premium tss um which again it is a non-toxic that does a better job than lead so it's a win 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 um number nines weigh the si- same size or weigh the same as a number five lead and you're getting about, I think, 100 to 300 more pellets, depending on the size of the shot. So it just makes it a practical thing. That being said, I'm going to go back to the patterning. I patterned my 410, and I was only getting kill shots out to about 35 yards. So, you know, I don't have a factory choke that I can put into my 410. I'm using a classic single shot 410. I'm doing it more as for fun but I absolutely know my limits. It's 100% capable out to a set limit. If you grab your 410, throw any old shot in it and say, well, boy, howdy, I'm good out to 60 yards. You're only going to have yourself to blame when that turkey goes flying away. I actually do know the post you're talking about by Vortex um, without saying too much. I thought it was slightly irresponsible the way they presented it. I think that's fair too. Yep. I do because <laughs> um, they compared it with a number five lead through a full choke yes. at 60 yards. And it's like, you know, they had the perfect 410 set up with aftermarket chokes. And uh, yeah, I don't think it was a fair comparison, but yeah, it, you know, it's a fun little round. I mean, you know, Turkey rounds kick, uh, they kick hard. I think they're pushing something like 30 to 40 pounds of recoil, which is punishing. Uh, you know, that little 410, 
It's manageable. It's nice. It's a great way to get first timers out, you know, wives, girlfriends, kids. But yeah, you got to know where your limits are. Yeah, I think that's what kind of spurred the conversation when I seen that post between me and my buddy Jimmy. Um, one, we just kind of both thought it was really interesting, but then we both have kids. So we were both were kind of like, hey, this could be like a cool round for us to kind of test out, use over the next few years and then have this kind of cool, nice first turkey gun for kids. He actually was going to go out and buy one like before season a couple of weeks ago, but then obviously you can't find 410 turkey ammo at all. So it's like, well, okay, not going to be this year. Uh, but I think that's something I'll try out too. So I was curious. So that, that was something I wanted to ask you about. So I'm glad we, glad we got to that. Yeah, I got on the TSS train like three years ago. Uh, Jason was loading some and he said, dude, you got to try this stuff. It's crazy. He was explaining to me it weighs more than gold, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, there's a couple things I don't like about it. I kind of feel like it's almost, uh, like the crossbow archery conversation where it's, you know, guys start thinking they're invincible and taking ridiculous shots and everything. I mean, you still have to know what you're dealing with, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm doubling up my pattern at 40 yards, you know, where I was getting 20, 20 pellets in the, the kill zone, I'm getting 40. Um, it, it smokes them. Uh, you know, I, I'm a little nervous about its carrying. So, I mean, I still cap my shots at like 45, 50. I know there's guys that talk about, you know, shooting 65, 70. I just won't do it, but, um, that's a small, yeah, that's it, a small target at six. Yeah. That's a small target at 50 yards. Yes. Talking the only reason 70. it would take a 50 yard shot is the, the red dot kind of takes a little, takes a little bit of the guesswork out of the bead, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 it hits them. It hits them hard. Um, it's 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 a fun little round it's expensive but yeah i I remember you mentioned that you know when when the tss came out there was worry about people taking too long of shots i use that longbeard xr stuff because it it patterns super well out of my gun i have a mossberg 835 i run a it's a true glow strut stopper extreme choke not the gobble stopper but the strut stopper um and i run those xrs and I have wonderful patterns at 40 yards enough that I don't need to count. And I remember when those first came out, people were worried that people would be taking 60 yard shots with them. And it's interesting that you move into a non-tox that is, it sounds like they're advertising it. I haven't seen too many advertisements, but advertising it as even longer than that. You just keep pushing that. And at what point, is capability versus hunter morality. Like where's that line, you know? And I think for me, it's at that 45, 50, just like you're saying. Well, yeah. And there's some safety mixed into that too. Like we were talking about, right? Like how hard is it to identify a target at 65 yards? All of a sudden that full strut decoy, not to mention if the thing actually is carrying enough punch to kill a turkey at 65 yards, you don't want that touching you. Uh, Even on the backside of a tree with your shoulders hanging out both sides. So yeah, I mean, it's it's mean, tough stuff, but yeah, I'd still like to be able to get a prime lock on exactly what's going on before I let them fly. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, well, to uh, so to wrap this up, before we let you go, Adam, uh, first I want to thank you for your time. Like I said, I have learned an absolute ton on this about turkey hunting that I had things that I had not, had not heard explained in a better way. Um, you know, I'm 
I wasn't excited for turkey hunting two hours ago. And now I'm kind of like, you know what? You know, I could get out at like 8.30. You know, help out with, with the baby in the morning, get out at 8.30 and do that midday thing. And, and I'm kind of psyched about it. Um, but we have a, we usually, we try to end our podcast with um, a little a little scenario for our guests. So um, if we know you're a bird dog guy, you know, you have uh, Ace and Fern, short hair and English pointer. Um, so we know you chase grouse, woodcock, pheasant. Um, not that you chase turkeys with dogs, but you got to drop one of them. You can never do it again. Turkeys, grouse, or pheasant. Which one you dropping? And I know that you love hunting pheasants in Michigan. Strictly financial. I'd be keeping the dogs. There's just so much money wrapped up into them. And plus, you know, they're, they're the dogs, right? They're best friends. All things being equal though, if you told me that turkeys acted like they do in April until the end of August, and I had a 17,000 acre ranch where I could chase them and just hear them gobbling all summer long, I'd be a cat person. Be turkeys. Yeah. Turkeys are the one that you're dropping or the only, or the one that you're doing. Oh, I say if, if mm. everything being equal, I would keep turkey, but of course, no, I, I, I'd keep the dogs. I, I get just, just too much into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Even in a fantasy scenario, I just, I'm still frugal. I, I'd have to keep the, the, the money pits of the dogs. Right. Right. <laughs> I kind of, I, I kind of thought that it might be pheasant that you, that you kind of mixed out of those three. Adam and Wilson is not dropping pheasant. Come on. I, I know. I know. Well, to, to be fair, <laughs> um, there's a new $25 stamp here in Michigan, and I'm not going to get started on that, but I'm just going to say I bought my licenses this year, and I did not spend an additional $25. Oh. So we shall see. Interesting. Okay. No, no, that's so a... I might have ar- I might have already answered that by my license purchasing. I, I, I might actually be dropping that I think one. I think you did. And that, that is definitely a discussion for another day. We have <laughs> uh, Pennsylvania only stocks birds now. You cannot find wild. You can, you can find wild birds in Pennsylvania. You will not know that they're wild. And they only come out of like special areas that you can't hunt. So I hear you there. But uh, no, man, I really appreciate your time tonight. Um, coming on with us and giving us all a little bit of a turkey education. Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll echo what Aaron said. I think it's been a good discussion. Appreciate you coming here. Where uh, where can people follow you, like on socials, if they listen to this and they kind of want to keep up uh, with your turkey season, see how thing or, things are going? Uh, the best way is uh, my Instagram isn't private. My Facebook is. Facebook's more family and friends. Uh, but it's uh, GSP underscore EP underscore Rough Life, R-U-F-F Life. Um, that is my Instagram handle. Uh, I used to try to keep it more bird dog themed. Uh, then I kind of started deciding that themes were silly. So yeah, it's probably the best way. Uh, hopefully there's a lot of content this year. I, I plan on dragging the camera around a lot more than I did last year. Um, taking better photos and everything, trying to soak up the experience. Like I said, it's every, every year that goes by, uh, especially with COVID and everything else that happened and all that the last year, you know, kind of take a stock of what you're doing and look around a little bit more. And this year is going to be one of those. I plan on taking a couple first timers out, 
um, which should be awesome. I'm going to desperately try to get one of those really awesome magazine-worthy pictures of a first-timer right before he pulls the trigger on a strutting bird. So we'll see if that works out. That would be the best place to see it is on uh, Instagram. Yeah, that sounds good. We'll definitely, I mean, we'll obviously get you tagged in the post. So everybody, you know, go follow Adam. I think uh, like us, you've probably learned something this episode. So that'll be a good way to keep up. Um, but once again, just, you know, thanks for coming on. We appreciate you having uh, the time to to jump on here with us. And I think to the listeners, you know, thanks for tuning in. Uh, and we'll catch you on the next one. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you.